0: If you will, would you open your Bibles again to Acts chapter 2? Let's look at that just for a moment. Acts chapter 2. Verses 41 through 47. Once again, we can't read God's Word enough. I hope you'll be all right with that this morning. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing those proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's a church that's starting out and is growing by leaps and bounds. It had a good reputation Sometimes churches don't have a good reputation. Some churches have a poor reputation. They don't seem to reflect Christ in their actions and their attitudes. So this morning I'm going to ask you, as the church, the body of Christ, what kind of church do you think pleases God? Have you seen evidence of a church that pleases God? Have you ever been to a church where you know Things are happening. It's good. They're taking care of one another. They're loving one another. There's unity. There's no perfect church on this earth. You need to understand that. Until we get to heaven, there's going to be issues that we take on. One day, that church, we, us, the body, the church, will be perfected. But until then, we've got to ask the question of ourselves, what kind of church do we want to be? As we read the book of Acts, chapter 2, we see in these scriptures that we'll focus on this morning seven characteristics that were visible in that first century church. And we now know these characteristics were a part of what caused that church to grow so incredibly. If God's people... Would give themselves over to God's will completely. These characteristics would be evident in our church. Everyone doing their part, it would be a mighty move of God. So let's look at these seven characteristics. The first characteristic is found in verse 42. So take a look at that. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to the teaching of God's holy word. They loved to hear it. They received it. They obeyed it. They sat for hours at a time. They didn't complain because they didn't get out early enough to go eat lunch. They wanted to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. The church in the first century was permeated with the Word of God. Throughout history, people have been changed by God's Word the story of Christ, how He loved us and pursued us, and how He wants us to live with Him and relate to Him and God the Father and to each other. The Bible states of itself that it is a mirror that reflects God's truth. It also says that it's a germinating seed that brings forth fruit. It's the bread of life that nourishes our lives And in Psalms, we're told it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's a double-edged sword that cuts to the center of truth. It's a hammer that eliminates the foe. It's a fire that burns away all the dross, all the stuff that doesn't really matter. That's God's Word. We're also told it's milk that feeds and allows us to grow, and then meat that strengthens us and brings us to maturity. There's no such thing as spending too much time in God's Word. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, many of you may know there's a portion there that the Jews call the Shema. It is a section that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and remember the things that I've done for you. And. Remember them when you're sitting down, when you're lying down, when you're standing. That means when, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, remember God's word. Put it on the forehead. That's what he told them. He, and he said, teach them to your children and to your children's children. Paul exhorted Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 to learn the Word of God, to be a workman that needs not to be ashamed, an A-plus student. In 2 Timothy 2.2, he said to Timothy, take what I have taught you and pass it on to others who will be faithful in doing so also. In Matthew 24, verse 35, it says the heaven and earth will pass away but the word of the Lord will stand forever. So this church was a church that depended on the word of God. They received it. They wanted it. They loved hearing about Jesus. The second thing that we find in here, it's also found in verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and I I started not to ask you this, just because of what it is. But do you remember, some of you, some of you are not old enough, the show on television, Cheers? I see some heads. And, and in the theme song, I love the theme song. Of course, I'm a music guy, so I loved it. Where everybody knows your name, and what's the next part, do you know? And they're always glad you came. This church was a church that loved fellowship. We like it when people know our name, and we like it when people care about us, where we're accepted. Everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. The first century church was that place. It was attractive. It was warm. It was family, where people felt they belonged and were cared about, cared for. And that's probably why in Acts chapter 2 verse 46 it says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes together. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And those words glad and sincere hearts indicates intimacy, community. People, they crave that. They want that so desperately. Care and godly love was the norm and should be the norm in our church they met together they talked about the things of Jesus and they made sure everyone had what they needed to exist imagine a church where people are glad to attend where their needs are met and they enjoy their time together always always a winning formula number three the third characteristic that indicates that they're a church that glorified God was they were energized by prayer and worship. In 2.42 again, verse 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. The believers were in constant prayer and worship, individually, corporately. That energized everything that they did. In fact, when the apostles were threatened and Acts. Chapter 4, 18, what was their response? It says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. That was their response. Acts 2.47 tells us they were praising God daily and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Church of Acts was energized by prayer and worship. And when they prayed and when they worshiped, rooms were literally shaken. Acts 4.31, Acts 16, 25, and 26 tell us that the room was shaken as they were praying and as they were singing God's praises. Every time there's a focus on prayer and worship, individually and corporately, it's met with a move of the Spirit of God. Consider the the upper room where there were, as I said, 120 folks there. They were praying, waiting on the Holy Spirit. God moved mightily. Consider the great revivals of the 18th and 19th centuries. Alfred Lord Tennyson stated, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Charles Spurgeon, prince of preachers, he said, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. They were a praying and worshiping church. And a praying and worshiping church brings glory to God. The fourth characteristic is a church empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.43, we're told that every one was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. And as a result, signs and wonders and miracles were commonplace. Everyone was filled with awe, a supernatural wonder. This power at work through the Holy Spirit is further emphasized in Acts 4.33, where it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And in Acts 5.12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. We need the power of the Holy Spirit more today than any other time. We're being attacked by the forces of darkness, so we must pray for a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit's power among His people. The fifth characteristic of a church that glorifies God is one that's marked by generosity. We find it in these verses 44 and 45. Take a look there. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone as he had need. What amazing generosity. As the church grew in leaps and bounds, and the numbers increased, and they realized there were needs, the believers responded incredibly by sharing what they had to meet those needs. And the result was the Lord was glorified. Church of our day too should be marked by overflowing generosity. Because we remember what Jesus did for us. The extravagance that he gave to us. Number six, a church that evangelized daily. We're told in verse 47, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People being saved daily meant that the believers were sharing the gospel everywhere they went. And the book of Acts shows us that regular evangelism was a clear pattern of their ministry. They refused to be stopped even when they were threatened, beaten, or put in prison. And as they continued to evangelize, as they continued to share the good news about Jesus and what He'd done in their lives to others, Acts 5.14 shows that more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their, na- their number. Even when the church was scattered later by Saul, who later became Paul, he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. But when the uh, Christians in Jerusalem were scattered to other places, the Bible says those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Acts 8.4. The heart for winning souls needs to be renewed within the body of Christ today because every soul saved is a soul that God is concerned with and it brings glory to God when they come to Him. Someone said, we're not called to cultivate fish, we're called to catch fish. So, let's keep sharing the gospel whenever and wherever the opportunity arises, whether that's in the place of your business where you shop, wherever you go. There's a story about an avid golfer and his next-door neighbor went to church every Sunday. And they, it happened that they would leave the house at the same time. On Sunday mornings, one would go to the golf course, the other would go to church. The neighbor apparently invited the Christian to join him on the golf course. Many times... But the offer was politely declined on the grounds that he had to go to church. One day, after another invitation to play golf on Sunday, and it was politely declined, the neighbor said, isn't it strange? And the Christian said, why? What what do you find strange? He said, although I've invited you to play golf many times on Sunday, You haven't invited me once to come to church. What a terrible indictment. The seventh characteristic of the church basically just holds all of those together. It is that they were extremely devoted. Back to Acts 42. They devoted themselves. It could be said that the Christians were totally and extremely devoted to all that has been shared so far in this message. They were committed to God's Word. They were committed to fellowship. They were committed to prayer and worship and to the Holy Spirit's work, to generosity and to telling others about Jesus. The devotion was very different to what had been exemplified by the religious culture of that day. Today, you'll hear the word extremist thrown around and negative connotations to illegal or violent or fanatic or militant. But these Christians in the first century, they were extremists. They had only one purpose and one goal, and that was to bring glory to God. That was their daily lifestyle. My prayer is that we, too, will be extreme in our devotion to God so that we might be, bring glory to His name. Will you pray with me? Let's go to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, this morning we have come to worship You. We've come not only to, to, to tell You how much we love You, but Father, we want You to speak to us. We want You to speak to us through the words of the hymns. We want you to remind us through the prayers our needs, but also what you can do for us because of who you are. And Father, I pray that through the reading of your word and expounding upon it, we will be reminded who we are and who we need to be. Lord, now as we go into this time of decision, Pray that you would help us, help us to make the decisions that we need to make in order to bring you glory, that we will do all as written in your word, that we'll love one another, that we'll be unified for the purpose of Jesus Christ, and that we will bring you glory in our lives, in our giving, in every part of who we are.